0: Good morning, Springbrook! Great to see you this morning. You're all looking sharp, awake, and ready to feed on the Word of God. Hey, I want to thank you. If you're a guest today, uh, we really appreciate it coming out. It takes a lot of courage to come out to a new church. You know, you know what they're going to be doing, or... <laughs> you just sit at the back so you can escape quickly. Uh... If things go south, so we do appreciate having you uh, from a postcard or maybe someone invited you and uh, maybe you just saw it on the internet and we would love to have you back anytime. Last Sunday night, <laughs> last Sunday night, how many actually were watching the Oscars when the fiasco happened? Anybody? Okay, just a few of you. I had stopped watching. I wish I would have kept watching because <laughs> it's the first time this has happened in 88 years of the Oscars where they've read the wrong envelope. So here you have Warren Beatty and Faith Dunaway. They uh, were part of uh, uh, a movie, Bonnie and Clyde. And they were celebrating the 50th anniversary of that movie. And so what happens is, as you probably heard, there are two sets of envelopes for every award. And there's two people from Price Waterhouse who give those envelopes to uh, the people as they go out in order to announce it. It just turns out that the CEO... A Price Waterhouse was the one who gave Warren Beatty the wrong envelope. I don't know what's going to happen to him. <laughs> yeah, so so Warren Beatty gets out there and he looks the looks what's inside the envelope, and it doesn't make sense for him because this is the Best Actress Award for Emma Stone, and so he kind of you know, I don't know what you got to do here, and he shows Faye Dunaway, and she says, "Oh, Lordy." La La and so La, La Land comes rushing forward. And they even go through the whole acceptance speech. And then they come out and say, no, 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 it's moonlight. I mean, how bad can it get, you know? The highest point of the eating, La, La Land was expected to win, but it didn't. So Warren Beatty got up and kind of explained Tried to explain what happened, and uh, and they finally got the cast. Oh, I love this picture. <laughs> Look at Matt Damon. <laughs> I don't know who that girl in the corner is on the right there, but she is just stunned. I mean, it was like this never happens at the Oscars. It's kind of good to see, you know, this big production, and they had this big mistake, you know, because that's our lives, right? <laughs> we have this big life, and we make some mistakes, and even they can't get it right. All the time. So the moonlight cast came out, and uh, they gave their speech, and I remember that for the rest of my life. Uh, the Oscar blunder. But it reminded me of what marriage is like. What happens in marriage. Now look at this picture. Oh, there's just joy in the air. There's excitement. Celebration. We're getting married. We're going to start out our new life together. We're going to... Well, you're going to take care of my needs. You're the one who's the answer. Finally, my life is going to get easier. Well, not really. In fact, your life is going to become more complicated. <laughs> because you're not just caring about your needs, but somebody else's needs. And it's it just... At at this point, hopefully, they're they're just head over heels in love. But then in five years, seven years, ten years, what do you got? Hmm? They hate each other. They despise each other. They want nothing to do with this person. They want a divorce. They want to get out and... And you're thinking, how in the world does that happen in a marriage where you can go with deep love and excitement and all of a sudden, over a period of time, things really, really get bad. And, of course, we know that there's a 50% divorce rate in our country. Yeah, marriage is hard. It is. That's why we're doing our Deep Love series uh, they personality next week, communication, the 19th conflict, the 26th adaptability. And then, on March 18th, we're going to have a marriage workshop here. And I think you're really going uh, to enjoy it. It's $30 a couple. We have uh, two professors who are married from Moody Bible Institute, are very, you know, fun and energetic and have a great way of presenting things. But men, I tell you, men, you lead, right? Say We need to be there. Okay, and some of you are scared to go. (laughs) Well, it's always good to hear the truth because that's what transforms you uh, through the Holy uh, Spirit. But again, that's uh, March 18th from 9 to 4, lunch on your own. And the cost, again, will be uh, $30. We hope you can make it. And we hope you invite people out after today to our services and to this particular workshop because we want to help people in life by teaching them that God loves them and has a plan for their life. Well, who came up with the idea of marriage? God did, right? And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, he had created everything up to that point, And everything was good. It's, good. it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's not good. What's not good? Adam doesn't have a mate. So he puts Adam to sleep, takes a rib out of him, and he forms Eve out of the dust. <laughs> I just would love to see a video of one. Adam awoke and saw his new mate. <laughs> he had to be pretty excited, I think. I don't know. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, it's tremendous. Now, this here, this verse, is the core of what marriage is all about. This is what should happen. In fact, this verse is repeated four times in the little parts of Scripture. This is what marriage is. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. And I have three boys. One got married last summer, and others getting married this summer. So I'm trying to figure out how to be a good in-law. I don't want to be, you know, like uh, Robert De Niro or anything like that. <laughs> so, you, know, you just kind of have to stand back and let your kids go and... You know, if they want to ask questions, they can. But uh, a lot of parents don't let go of their kids, right? And that gets really complicated. And his mother, and hold fast to his wife. That's a very, very uh, powerful word in the Hebrew. Holding fast means to cleave. Uh, It means almost to be like super glued together, right? What happens in marriage, the way God designed it, is that you would be married to one person and you would enjoy everything that marriage brings with them and that you would live with them until you died. Now, that's God's best. That's what His design was. God's designs, they're not to frustrate us and say, oh, well, that's, I can't live like that. No. It's when you live by God's commandments that you really experience life. They shall become one flesh. There's something that's so beautiful about the sexual connection. It's a very important part of marriage. But, if you have made that connection, and then you step away from it, That is a sin against yourself. You're going to have to pay for it, and especially women, right? You know? Very important. Well, obviously, uh, in our society, marriage is uh, becoming passe, one might say. I always say people get, they start living together and (laughs) then they save up for their marriage party. (laughs) It's just kind of opposite. But, that's what happens. Why is that? Because we're all sinners, right? We're all sinners. What happened, Adam and Eve, is they went back into the garden, well, they were in the garden, and they went to the uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God said, you can have fruit from any other tree, but don't eat from that one. Of course, Satan came along as a serpent and said, oh, you'll be just like God. That's why he doesn't want you to eat of it. So, Eve ate, Adam ate, and everything changed. Because they had had, uh, disobeyed God. And what happened at that point is that they received a sinful orientation In their lives. And so their natural response to everything was, hey, I want to do it my way. And that sinful orientation is passed down through genetics and God. And so we're all born with a sinful orientation. And that's why we see so many problems in our world, right? People are just out for themselves. i gotta, I got to do one thing here, okay? Uh, we, could, we, we could spend weeks on marriage, and I give you all the newest research on what you can do to improve your marriage. But there's only one thing that can transform your marriage, and that's the Gospel. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You see, Adam and Eve sinned, a sinful orientation. They had sinned, and there's a penalty for sin. That's eternal suffering instead of eternal glory with God. But God created Adam and Eve to enjoy their relationship, to to be with them, and and to be worshipped by them. He didn't want people to suffer the pain of eternal suffering. So what he did is he loved the world so much that he gave his only Son, Jesus Christ. And he gave himself in a sense, right? The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He gave himself. Because he loved us so much. And he wanted to have a relationship with us. But somebody had to pay that price. Jesus Christ. Born from a virgin. Lived the perfect life. God and man at the same time. Therefore he could represent us as a man. And he paid the price for our sin on the cross. He hung On a cross. At a certain point, all the sins of the world, past, present, future, your life, my life, were laid upon him. And God had to turn away. He couldn't even look at his own son. And Jesus died. He died to pay the penalty for our sin. Friends, we are not ashamed in any way to tell you that the reason Springbrook Community Church is here is because God loves you and He wants you to hear this message. And He wants you to come to Him and say, God, I can't do it on my own. That's one of the big hang People say, "Well, I can do it. I'll go to church more, and I'll be a better husband or dad or whatever. I'll get enough points to get into heaven." No, you can't. You can't be saved by your good works, and that's hard for people to accept. You just have to come to God and say, "God, I got nothing. <laughs> I should experience." eternal suffering, but Jesus Christ experienced it for me on the cross. He paid my penalty. And I don't have anything. And Lord, I want you to be my Savior. And Lord, I want to repent of my sin and live for you. And when a person makes that decision, that's when they become a Christ follower. That's when the Holy Spirit comes into them. And and, and you they get a new godly orientation now. Power to overcome their selfishness. And I just want to say up front here, now we're just a bunch of messed up people. I am. Are you? Well, yeah, of course. You've been maimed by sin. We're going to talk about marriage. Talk about divorce, living together. You know, uh, again, God doesn't like that. But you can be forgiven for that, right? It's not like if you got a divorce or three or five divorces that you disqualify. No. God forgives every sin. The only sin He doesn't forgive is rejecting Jesus Christ as God and Savior and Lord. So I want to say up front, whatever baggage you have in the past, God's love has not changed for you. He loves you just as much. And He just wants you to come to Him and say, Lord, I've made a mess of my life with that sinful orientation. And I pray that you would come in. I know it's nothing that I can do, but it's something that's already been done for me. Through Jesus Christ, and that is what is going to transform you and your marriage. That is a secret. Now, we're going to go on to talk about different principles here, but if you have never made that decision, if you're still depending on your good works, I would ask you to think. Go by our welcome desk and get some brownies and a bag. And there's a. Information there about how you can establish a relationship with Jesus Christ. The gospel is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now, these are the two verses that sum up what marriage should be. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What's our main sinful problem? We're just selfish. <laughs> you know, We want life to go well for us. We want people to do what we say or want them uh, to do. We want our needs met. So look at this verse. Again, The only way you can do this in the power of Christ is to count others more significant than yourselves. Okay. I'll admit I'm pretty selfish. I think about me most of the time. About how my life's going. That kind of thing. And uh, yeah, I mean to consider someone Someone's needs more important than mine, that's a scratch. Right? Is that what God asks us to do in marriage? People don't realize this many times. When they get married, their main job description is to meet your spouse's need. That's it. And they go in thinking, well, this person's going to complete me. <laughs> right? Uh, they're going to meet all my needs, and life will be so much easier. No. They'll meet some of your needs, and hopefully they have the same attitude as you do, but you go into that marriage saying, okay, I am going to complicate my life some more. Right? You're not taking care of your needs. I mean, you're taking care of your needs, plus you add somebody else to that. And you're supposed to put them above. Now, again, once you're christ found and you have the Holy Spirit's power within you, You can do supernatural things like that. That each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. God wants to transform our heart and our lives so we can do supernatural things like this. I asked my wife uh, yesterday, Hey, honey. I seen any areas of selfishness in my life, and she didn't miss a beat. Uh, we have a Boston Terrier puppy, uh, Rizzo, Anthony Rizzo, you know, Chicago Cubs. And um, when I get up in the morning, she's laying there in bed and she says, "Take the dog out." And I said, "Well, I'll take the dog out when I'm ready, when I'm dressed." would be something like a half hour. And she, of course, just loves dogs. And she's thinking about this poor little dog and their bladder is about to burst. Right? And I'm thinking, hey, what if we had gotten up later? Would it make any difference? (laughs) So, I will take the dog out. I'll find some sweats and I'll go out there. Now, that's meeting my wife's need. I'd never do that usually. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Let's talk about the love bank. This, I think, is the most powerful analogy to help people understand why relationships either go good or bad. Everyone has a love bank. It contains many different accounts, one for each person we know. Pleasurable interactions cause deposits. Painful interactions cause withdrawals. So you got it? You really have a love bank with with everybody that you meet and certain impressions about them, but especially with your wife and your husband. That's a critical account. What happens is, is that you go through this courtship phase and you're on the love. Drug. Have you experienced a love drug? Oh man. It's awesome. Probably the most euphoric time of my life was courting my wife. I mean, I can't recreate. I love my wife and everything, but it just, I don't know. It just kicks in. So I'm going, like, okay, and I start to do strange things. You know? <laughs> we met at Moody Bible Institute. And I remember taking her out for a date. Usually it was a walk. You know, didn't have a lot of money. (laughs) But we did stop and get some pie. And, uh, you know, we started the date. And uh, eventually came to the point where I want to marry this girl. Because I, I was making all kinds of deposits in her love bank, and she was making deposits in my love bank, and I, I was caring for her, I was getting her gifts and cars, and I spent so much money. You guys, you guys remember that when you spent so much money on your wife? I mean, you were crazy. <laughs> you know what I did uh, to propose to my wife. We were down at Moody and uh, what I did is I took 12 roses and I brought them to all the memorable places in our relationship. And so I'd give it to the person there and I'd say, listen, I'm going to come in in about two hours and just present her with this rose. Okay, And then I had a taxi driver that I caught and said, hey, i got to do something. I gave him a rose. He came around the corner. You know? And then... I actually sang a song to her, a love song at each stop. Twelve love songs. I was on a trip, man. (laughs) This is strange behavior for Dan. I I tried to do it one another time. Uh, uh, This wasn't the same, but it was good to do. Um, Yeah, I mean, oh. I just felt better than I'd ever felt and, you know, we went down to the planetarium along the lake there and I proposed to her and then we took a carriage ride and then I went to work my security job overnight. Now what will make me do all that? It's the love rug. God builds us into it. And I just was gaga over Over my wife. Yes. But what happens is, typical, not all the time, but during that courtship phase, you got the love drug going through you. And, man, you're doing things, listening, giving cards and gifts and just romancing them all the time, spending a lot of money on them. But when the marriage is... In terms of starting a marriage, consummate, whatever you want to say, something changes with most guys. Most guys are very compartmentalized, right? So they did find and romance a wife. That project has now been done, it's been put on the shelf or the thought will be given to it because then he works on to the next project which is build my career. I'll put all my energy to start building my career. And she's wondering what in the world happened. That's what Lori said about me. I had some some tough times because I I was just selfish. That was all about me and it took me a while to learn that uh, I was hurting her. And I was sinning against her that I wasn't putting her at the the top of my list, and she forgave me. But that's what happens, especially with guys, is that you know they go off into another adventure, and again the wives they struggle too, you know. But they aren't the same person as they were when they were dating. And, of course, that first year kicks off and there's all kinds of struggles and all kinds of arguments. I mean, Now, the first year of marriage can be very difficult. It doesn't always have to be, but depending upon the personalities and that type of thing. So what happened was, during the courtship phase, man, I was making deposits every day in her love bank. I mean, I was just overwhelming her. I mean, my my account in her was sky high. But after we got married, when I changed gears, I started making withdrawals, and withdrawals, and withdrawals, and I get into the red. You know, I'm wondering what's the problem here, because I'm not intentionally meeting her needs that I did before. And she's not happy about that. And vice versa. You see how that works out? Because when we get married we think, okay, I don't have to work as hard and all that romantic stuff. That's for, you know, dating and the problem is is you are not intentional about making deposits anymore. Before the marriage, that just came so naturally to you. But after the marriage, and then you kind of get back focusing on yourself, you don't make deposits. You don't buy cards. You don't say, I love you a lot. You don't hug her, or kiss her, all those different types of things. I mean, it just kind of drops off. And... Right? Now, how do you solve that problem? Well you got to change your orientation, become a Christ follower, get some of that Holy Spirit's power, and start to invest in your love account with your spouse. So when you're at Walmart, you know, you pick up a card for no reason whatsoever. There's no birthday. There's no anniversary. It's just because you love her. And sometimes guys don't realize how important that is to a woman. You know, what card? What's the deal? You know. I could buy her some food for this. (laughs) Right? Yeah. And the same thing happens with a woman. And friends, that is how two people who are consumed with love for one another can grow to hate and despise them because you're my spouse and you're not meeting my needs. You're not taking care of me I can't stand you. Eventually, I come to divorce. And a lot of people don't even understand this concept. But this is really how you build a marriage. By intentionally making deposits in their love bank. And trying to keep the withdrawals to a minimum. Common conflicts that come up in marriage. Expectations. Boy, that's the biggest one. If you are newly married, because you got this idea of marriage you got from your parents or your grandparents or media or whatever the case might be. It's like, oh, this is what marriage is going to be like. And then you wake up and say, who did I marry? Who is this beast laying next to me? What have I done with my life? Right? Because the conversations and you've got two wills going against one another. Being selfish, wanting their own way in terms of money, that's a big one. Of course, they say that's why most couples uh, break up. No, that's not the reason. Selfishness is the reason most marriages end. But money reflects your values. Then the children, oh my, I just admire all of you who have young children and I see you going around. <laughs> uh, we had a, uh, a dedication a couple of weeks ago uh, where... It was Tear and Earl Boyson had triplets. I go, oh, how could you ever do that, huh? <laughs> how could you handle that, you know? Uh, my, my hat's off to you moms for all you do. I tell you, you just sacrifice and give. And But again, there's questions about uh, how you're going to raise them, how many are you going to have, how you're going to discipline them, then time time. This is more important than ever. Our culture is telling you, your peers are telling you that if you have kids, you have to prepare them for life. you got to get them into a good college. So I was talking with somebody the other day and uh, they had like six different activities, piano and drama and all that kind of stuff. What is that teaching the kid? That's teaching the kid, I'm number one. That's why, with a study with millennials, they basically said their own feedback were selfish. At least they admit it. I think that's mature. <laughs> but you see, they're not taught by our culture anymore to be unselfish, which it used to have back in generations past. So, it creates a lot of problems. So, I want to encourage you, parents you know, your children are not the most important thing in your household, your spouses. And if you build a solid relationship with your spouse, your kids are going to thrive because they're going to see it modeled, they're going to understand that they aren't king of the world. That they had to sacrifice. Amen. Yeah. I mean, I'm just I'm just shooting straight here. Okay? It just happened in our culture. And you're giving the kids the impression that, you know, it's all about them. Well, it's not all about them. That's what kids need to learn. No, it's not all about you. <laughs> I'm not against any of the activities. But when you get up to like six or something, it's kind of like, what are you doing? You know? uh That's another issue. Sex, yeah. That certainly can lead to a lot of arguments. And family, extended family. Well, is your love bank running on empty? Maybe your spouse isn't with you today. He said, oh, if they only would come and hear this. (laughs) Yeah. The only way to turn it around is through prayer. prayer. In fact, I was talking with somebody after the service, and there was a couple that was at Springbrook for the first ten years, and then they left, and they went through a divorce, and the uh, the man just continued to love her, and now they're married again. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. That's the power of God. Because I knew this couple real well. I said, "What are you guys doing?" I mean, but but God put it all back together for them. And I'm just so happy that He did. So, what do you do when your love bank is on empty? What you do is you start to fill the love bank of your spouse. And I was talking to one lady out there. And you're saying, I don't want to do that. And I said, you're exactly right. Because then it will seem like they're winning. They're treating you... Like trash. And you're saying, hey, what can I do for you? Again, it takes the Holy Spirit's power to do that. And it's hard. It's hard because, again, you have that bond together. And your needs are not being met. But that's what you have to do. And ask the Lord to give you the strength to do it. It's interesting. Uh, the number one needs. Uh. Willard Harley wrote a book, His Needs, Her Needs, uh, which a lot of this stuff comes from. Um, I would encourage you just to search Love Bank on your computer, and you'll find some really good sites that kind of flesh these things out. So, the woman's number one need, according to this particular survey, it's different for everybody, the women need affection, and the man needs sexual fulfillment. So, you guys are saying... Yeah, yeah, they get both those things. They don't want it enough of a, as I would like, but, (laughs) right? (laughs) Many men do not know what the definition of affection is. All right, here's an oxymoron for you guys, non-sexual touch. What's that all about? Hey, you know, if I'm going to invest in something, you know, I... Non-sexual touch. That's what your wife needs. To know that you're not trying to get something out of her. All right? That's how you need, you see, that's why you need to understand. You see, with women, another, uh, top need is conversation. I come home, you know, for many years and, well, how was your day? Oh, I don't want to relive my day. Let's talk about something else. But what she wants is she wants to know me. She doesn't spend time with kids all day for beat's sake. She wants to talk to an adult, number one, and she wants to talk to her beloved. So, guys, talk to your wives. And, and, and women, the way you feel about conversation and affection... It's the same way guys feel about sexual fulfillment. So, when he's not talking to you, it's like, you know. So, you have to understand that we're different. We're totally different in the way that we're wired. Here are men's needs uh, from the book, sexual fulfillment, recreational companionship. How many of you ladies lost your interest in sports once you got married? Anybody out there? <laughs> An attractive spouse? Somebody who works to keep up on their appearance. Domestic support. Now, he's not expecting you to take care of everything, but to provide that for him. And admiration. We'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. The importance. Men want to be respected. And women want to be loved. And so, what happens is they get caught in a vicious cycle. And nobody gets what they want. And of course, it gets messy. Women's needs are affection, conversation, honesty, and openness. Guys, your wife wants to know you. You're not used to that. You're not used to opening up the cave, right? I say, here, this is what I'm struggling with, hon. This is how you can help me. I mean, guys don't even know how to do it. So you got to be patient with them, you know. And tell them. Might do some bartering. I don't know. (laughs) But The point is, is that talk to your wives. Share with them. Uh, Financial commitment. Support for the family. And then family commitment. Extended family and things of that nature. Let me just briefly talk about something that we as guys can do. The woman's top need is affection. Affection. You're showing her that you're she's special to you. That uh, you know you're the only woman that you love so much. That means plenty of hugs. How many hugs did you get from your spouse this past week? I mean, that really is a pretty easy thing, right? You know. Now, guys, think. Okay, come here, hon. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Are you good? We're efficient. Let's get this thing over with. I don't want to spread it throughout the day. It'll confuse me. Right? You gotta hug your wife. You gotta understand how important it is. Kisses at every opportunity. Saying, What? What are you talking about? It's weird. No, it's not weird. You know, I kiss my wife every day and Um, I always like to embarrass Lori because she's more reserved. So early in our relationship, what I would do is I would uh, we go into store together and I would just break into song in full voice. (laughs) She'd go hide and I'd go after her. (laughs) She was so embarrassed. Now it's all about kissing. So I'll be out in the atrium with her and say, give me a kiss. She kind of goes. Come on, give me another kiss. One more kiss. Stop it. I said, what's the problem here? We're married. You know? Why are you so sensitive to what everybody else is thinking? Let's make out right here. Come on. Let's show up what marriage is all about. You know? <laughs> Flower, cards, gifts. Spending time with her. And again, I know today's culture is challenging. But you've got to make time to meet the needs of your spouse. Uh, Have a date night. In fact, I was talking to somebody and they said, well, we really don't have a date night, but we spend a lot of time together. That's good enough, right? If you're talking and communicating and and meeting each other's needs. Hmm. So guys, that's your assignment uh, this week. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word and Your truth. We, we can really, really make a mess of things through our selfishness. Lord, thank You that You've revealed to us today that, yeah, we need to become unselfish and meet the needs of our spouse. And Lord, I pray today for those who are just discouraged with their marriage and and mean it's been the same forever. Maybe their spouse is not a Christ follower, or there's just the spouses won't change in any way. I pray that you continue to pray, continue to pray, and also continue to make intentional deposits in their spouse's love bank. In Christ's name. Amen.